Welcome to Own the Microphone. Join me, Bridget McGowan, an award-winning international professional speaker and owner of the independent publishing company, BMAC Talks Press. Hello, I'm Bridget McGowan, and this is the latest and greatest episode of Own the Microphone. Today, I have with me Ben Gay III. Ben, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bridget. I appreciate it. Now, Ben, you did not grow up saying, I want to be a world-class speaker. You accidentally got into speaking. Talk to us about that. Well, I was broke, so I started going and putting a wife through nursing school. So I went to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution one morning, Wednesday, September 15, 1965, saw a little ad, said, if you know anything about marketing plans, want to make more money, dial this number. I did. We went down and met with them. And Jimmy Rucker, the greatest salesman I ever worked with personally, was my high school running buddy. I didn't know he was a salesman. I thought he was just with me drinking beer and chasing girls. Uh, But he was a natural. And... uh, we went down and one other person answered the ad, Zig Ziglar, it turned out. And he was just, he was 18 years older than I was. I was 22 or 23, but he'd never had a big hit. So he was looking through the one ads just like we were for the same reasons. So we all started out together and we had what's called opportunity meetings where you go and watch a film and hear somebody draw circles on the chalkboard and so on and figure out how you would fit into multi-level marketing. It was Holiday Magic Cosmetics, which at the time was rapidly becoming the largest um, direct sales, direct marketing company on the planet. And uh, so I just, I stepped, I tell people I stepped into a phone booth, dialed the number, and I mean dialed the number, not punched in the numbers. Uh, and it was a, what I had stepped into was a rocket. And when I put in the telephone code, it was the launch code and off we went. So uh, rather quickly, I discovered that the stars of the operation were the people that stood at the front of the room and explained things. And the people who could communicate with, you know, 10 or 12 people standing around them or whatever. And I thought I better get better at this. So by coming early, staying late, and working on weekends, we rose up through the ranks. I won a national sales contest, beat Zig, and won the mystery prize. The mystery prize was the presidency of Holiday Magic. I asked the owner, William Penpatrick, I said, why was it a mystery prize after I found out I won? He said, because if I didn't like who won it, I would have changed the prize. <laughs> so I became president uh zig got a rolls royce whoever was third got a lincoln continental and so on down the line one day early in my career i we, we were out in the home office in san rafael california marin county and i forgot my manual we were learning scripts and so on but that morning we had gotten up and done a little something in front of a this weird camera and thing it turned out it was a beta cam which was really cutting edge at the time and i hadn't thought any more about it so i go back in to get my manual and william penn patrick and the current president of the company he didn't know his job had just been given away as a prize were standing there and i heard my voice they were looking at the monitor and they were watching what i had done that morning and fred pape the president said he's good. And uh, Bill Patrick said, I will pay more for the ability to effectively communicate than any other talent. Well, I did the moonwalk back out of the room. I didn't want them to know I'd overheard the conversation. And I got that moment, I got serious. I had in Atlanta been getting up and introducing people and doing little snippets, you know, five minutes, and then you get comfortable, you do 10 but I had never done the whole meeting beginning to end. I just thought it was aggravating. I wanted to be with the people. Well, I was wrong. And then one day in a training class, Zig got up, Zig Ziglar got up and did, I don't know, 10 minutes of the Zig Ziglar show, Biscuits, Fleas, Pump Handles, his famous three 
talks and you know did very well and then i got up and talked for six or seven hours about what i was doing and how we were succeeding and so on standing at the front of the room i looked back and i saw zig talking to our sponsor the guy who'd run the ad bill dempsey and they talked back and forth and bill reached into his pocket and pulled out an envelope and gave it to zig and zig put it in his pocket well we didn't get checks from bill dempsey we got checks in the mail from the home office so i thought that's odd on a hunch as the meeting people talking to me broke up zig started down the hallway and he was going to go right past the coffee shop so i ran after him i said zig let me buy you a cup of coffee and he says all right we sat down i said zig just to keep bill uh, honest how much did he pay you that was a hunch i didn't know you could be paid for speaking and uh, he said well let me see and he opened up his envelope and he said out three hundred dollars just like we agreed this was in 1965 and uh i said oh i said uh, he said how much do you pay you i said i'm sure it's the same he hasn't given me the envelope yet and i had just given bridget my last free speech I, that's not true uh, everything i've done in and around prisons for years and years was free church groups are free but if it's business i don't if you see me up front i've been paid five thousand page speeches later having seen zig get the 300 check to two and a half million people speaking has been very good to me i've had some funny things happen along the way people introducing me dropping dead um on on stage <laughs> what what ben really yeah earn westmore you're too young to remember who he was but earn westmore was the dean of hollywood makeup artists i grew up with my mother watching the art link letter show in the daytime yeah and earn would be in the audience and he would do makeovers with the ladies so I go to New York to give my first big talk. I've been doing four or 500 people in Atlanta on a regular basis, but my first big talk and uh, uh, to four or 5,000 people at the Park Sheridan Hotel. And uh, that day, I guess up in the corporate suite or something, Ern Westmore was there. And I said, I know you. And I said, you're Ern Westmore of the famous Westmore family. He said, yes, I am. And so on. He said, let's go to lunch. We went to the Carnegie Deli, the world famous deli, which just closed recently. And uh, we had lunch and all. And, and while we were having lunch, he was eating pills out of a little bottle in his pocket like they were M&Ms. And I asked him what it was. It was nitroglycerin. He'd had uh, some heart issues. So uh, in casual conversation, I said, well, speaking of that, if you had to go, how would you like to go as famous as you are? And he said, I'd like to go on stage in front of a big crowd talking about beauty and fashion, preferably to a bunch of women. And I said, wow, that's neat. He said, listen, tonight, I said, would you mind? He said, I'm going on in front of you. Would you mind if I finished up and then introduced you? I said, I'd be honored. So I called my mother and I said, I met Ern Westmore, had lunch with him, and he's going to introduce me tonight. And my mother said, no, you didn't. I said, yeah, I did. He said, no, you didn't. You didn't meet Ern Westmore. He isn't going to introduce you. She wasn't quite used to the fact I'd gone from high school goof off to pretty successful in the blink of an eye. And uh, I said, well, I'm telling you, it's true. So that night he gets up, he does his thing. And then he says, and tonight, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure. In the meantime, Bridget, I'm looking out over four or 5,000 people. Right. And it, it was like an oil painting. I'd never seen that many people in one place other than a football stadium where they were all staring in my direction. So I, I really seriously considered, I checked out the door right behind me, slipping out the door and going up to the room and calling it a night. Mm -hmm. And but he had started talking about me and he pointed and a spotlight hit me, a pin light. So there was no running now. I mean, there's 5,000 people looking at where the pin light went. 
And uh, he says, so anyway, it's my pleasure. I'm confident he's going to be a big deal in this company to introduce Benjamin Franklin Gay Third. And before he finished the word third with a D on the end, he dropped like he'd been shot with an elephant gun, not fainted, dropped dead. There's a difference. <laughs> I, I, I've fainted. I've seen people faint. This was just boom and he was down. So I ran up and, you know, is there a doctor in the house and all those things? And uh, a couple of people ran up and somebody else must have called the ambulance because they came in pretty quick. And uh, uh, the uh, uh, ambulance guy, whatever they called him in those days, looked up, he said, sir, he's dead. And I said, okay, <laughs> what do I do? Right. Five 5,000 people Young Ben Gay is never talking to a big crowd like this, talk to a big crowd like this. He's dead. So as he hit, they put him on a Stoke, Stokes litter as he got near the edge of the stage. I said, ladies and gentlemen, I had lunch. This is spontaneous. Only thing I ever did spontaneous. Everything was scripted. I said, uh, I had lunch with him today and I asked him because I knew he had heart problems. If he had to go, how would he like to go? And he said on stage, talking to a huge group of ladies about beauty and fashion. And I said, he got his last wish. Now let's give him his last standing ovation. Bridget, they almost tore the room apart. I was told later by the management, you could hear it out in the lobby, up in the mezzanine and everything, the roar that came out of that crowd. Then the door, the doors open, you know, thump, thump, the Stokes litter going through the swinging double doors and uh, the spotlight came back. I thought, well, I got through that. And then it dawned me, I still got an hour long meeting to do. And the spotlight came back on me. And I said, per the script, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Ben Gay. I'm a general distributor with Holiday Magic Cosmetics. It's my pleasure to welcome you to tonight's special meeting and went on for a little over 40 minutes, word for word scripting, showed the film. The film at the end said, to the, turn to the person who brought you here and ask how you can get started in Holiday Magic. The lights came back up, 5,000 people in the room, about half of them would have been prospects, 2,500. I'm just making up numbers, but I'm close. Right, right. And in, that, in a room situation like that, group closing 30 to 40%, we would have closed because of what happened uh, and the impact of the meeting and God helping me through a very difficult time. We closed over 90% that night. Wow. That means 90% wrote a check for $2,500 in today's money, $25,000. Right. So I've told people over the years, if you want to really know how to do group selling, group closing, find a famous person to introduce you who's willing to die on stage. <laughs> Because when you follow him, there's just a tremendous impact. So that was, that was early in my career. I've, had, I've never had anything worse happen, but I've had a lot of funnier things happen and interesting things happen and so on. But I'll tell you what it did for me as a speaker, Bridget. It yeah. immunized me. There's yeah. nothing you can say or do, and I've had friends try to crack me up on stage or throw me off on stage or whatever. Once I get up, I'm like a freight train. And uh, just nothing, you know, what else, what else could you have happen <laughs> worse right. than having earned die? Right, right. Well, my goodness, what, uh, what an experience. Now, for listeners who have hiccups or missteps when they're presenting, none as big as that, yeah. as your experience, how do they find what you found? How do they dig deep to press on and deliver a performance if there is some kind of a glitch? Yeah, that's a glitch. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? Uh, one, scripting. Know your material. In my case, I was given an opportunity meeting that was, I think, 37 minutes, my part. 37 40 minutes and showing a film and then wrapping it up and then everybody got out their legal pads and started drawing circles on script uh and uh so on so be prepared whether it's a script 
or just if it's a one-up uh, keynote or something, give it, get in a room and give it 25, 30 times uh, in front of a small group if you can, but give it so that no matter what happens. I was up in a, in a holiday magic meeting in, in Long Beach, at the Long Beach Auditorium, 15,000 people in the room. I'm working off of two podium, and this is a, a lecterns. This is a all day, you know, 12 hour marathon. Off one lectern, I was introducing all the new products with a big slideshow behind me and on these huge screens. On the other lectern, I had the notes for introducing, I don't know, 50 or 60 celebrities. And uh, the, uh, and I went back and, and forth, you know, all of this showing the last of the products, I would drift over to the other lectern, be ready to introduce the new people that I hadn't yet gotten to and so on. Somewhere in there, the power in the Long Beach Auditorium went off. So I was not only in the dark, I was between podiums, between, I'm sorry, I hate it when people do that. You stand on a podium, you stand behind a lectern. I was between lecterns. And when the lights came back up, I went to the nearest one not the proper one, the nearest one. And so I looked down to see my notes of the people I'm supposed to introduce next. This, the number one on the list was the star of our new film. His name was Jeff Hunter, famous actor in his day. He played Christ in King of Kings, and he was the narrator in our movie. And I, I have to admit, as I later admitted to him, I'd never heard of him. I guess I didn't see King of Kings, or if I did, I didn't pay. Maybe he was such a good actor, it never dawned on me. I wasn't looking at Jesus. I don't know. <laughs> but I got to the wrong lecture and looked down from my notes, and there's cleansing cream, lotions, and so on. And I'm about 80 feet away from the other lecture where the names are. So I decided to wing it. And I said, and now, and, and stretch, you know, and now uh, we're going, waiting for the name to come to me. Uh, we're going to hear from a person who's going to be with you every night in your opportunity meetings in your cities all over the world, wherever you are. And and he's really going to be there with you. <laughs> I'm thinking, come on, help, help. <laughs> so if I look out, my wife now passed away. Marcia is sitting next to him. So I'm looking at her like, could you help me? Give me some signals or something. Nothing came. So somebody behind me whispered, uh, I think they said Jeffrey. I think they did say that much, but it was followed by you idiot. And I thought they said Jeffrey idiot. So I said, and now the Hollywood star, Jeffrey idiot. And somebody's yelling something else at me and, and so on. Finally, when he got up, he was most gracious. He walked up on stage, shook my hand and whispered in my ear, Hunter, Jeff Hunter. And I said, yes, Jeff Hunter, my old friend, sitting right there with my wife moments ago. We're like this, we're pals. <laughs> so again, uh, an, another one of those famous inoculations. One, I wasn't prepared. I, I, you know, the lights can go out. Well, how can you prepare for that? You have to prepare for everything. The lights go out, the ceiling collapses because they got a leak 11 floors up. That happened to me in the Huckins Hotel in Oklahoma City. Uh, you know, I didn't know the roof was leaking 11 floors up. How would I know? But when the ceiling collapsed, I could handle it because Ern Westmore died right in front of me and I couldn't remember Jeff Hunter's name. I'm inoculated. So be prepared, whether it's know your script or know your material, and then give it lots of times. Zig used to say Ben Gay would give a talk at a traffic accident. <laughs> you know, it didn't make any difference. Two or wherever two or more people gathered together, if I could get them to listen to me, I gave a speech. Yeah, I can honestly say, Bridget, I am more comfortable on stage in front of five, 10, 15,000 people or 500 people more comfortable on stage than I am standing in my living room at Thanksgiving, making small talk with a bunch of relatives I barely know. I get it. Yeah. I I'm just, that's where I, you know, it's, the light hits me and I come alive. This is my home. 
I get it. How do you get over nerves? I got over nerves back in 1965. Uh, haven't had one since. I just can't. I'm pawing at the ground. Can't wait to get on stage and do my thing because I've gotten good. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally get it. And people, I'm sure, are confused by that if you tell them that you'd rather be in front of or you're more more comfortable Mm -hmm. in front of thousands, if not tens of thousands of strangers giving a presentation than you are, like you said, at a family gathering on a holiday with a more intimate crowd of people that are quote unquote supposed to know you or be (laughs) relatives, right? They they find it confusing. It just doesn't make sense to them. Yeah, it didn't to me in the early days, but I got over it quickly and practice was the way. Get up in front. And keep in mind, in the multi-level marketing business, I gave six or seven hour-long speeches in front of hundred people, hundreds of people a week, mm-hmm. and then did sales training on Saturday morning. And then the selling was face-to-face, but running by a script presentations. So it was almost what I did all day long. And that will inoculate you. So join Toastmasters. I'm not a big fan of Toastmasters, but it saved a lot of people. It gets you up in front of people. Go to the Dale Carnegie public speaking. I sent my oldest boy to Dale Carnegie because he had a little problem paying attention to dad. But if you talk to somebody who didn't care who he was, although it was $1,200, that sort of bugged me back then. I don't know what it is now. But we got him up in front of people. And here's a little secret. People builders that I taught at San Quentin and at Lompoc Federal Penitentiary and at Frontier of the Women's Prison in in California and the Lower East Side Teen Association in Bedford-Stuyvesant with a Puerto Rican street gang. My little secret while talking about personal development, whatever's built, if I say we're going to teach you how to speak in public, nobody will show up because it is supposedly the number one psychological fear ahead of death by fire. So go to San Quentin. Recidivism rate when I got there was 67% of all people let out are back in two years. The graduates of People Builders, it was a 12-week course after we'd been there a year or two, and we had some statistics that were reliable. Instead of 67%, the graduates of people builders was less than 5% recidivism rate. And what I did was I tricked them into speak, speaking in public without them knowing it. I just say, come up here and tell me your story. Did you really steal the car? Did you really murder your mother-in-law? Did you really do? And, you know, because we want to get you ready to get out of here and go on the street and be successful. Well, they'd stand up and talk to me for 30 minutes, forgetting there were two or 300 people watching them. And then I, I would watch them do what I did when I first did anything at a holiday magic meeting. It, I think it was introduced Bill Dempsey. It was like two or three minutes before I fainted, you know. And then I stretched that to five or 10 or whatever. Uh, and then uh, one night somewhere, Bill Patrick, the owner of the company, and I were. I started out introducing him. Then my talk got longer and longer and longer. And I was probably borrowing some of his material. I got him a roaring standing ovation in front of a big crowd. And when he came up and, and, you know, did the hug you do and situations like that, he whispered in my ear. He said, we don't need to be together anymore. Mm -hmm. So I would be in Chicago. He would be in Detroit. I would be in New York and so on. It would be like uh, name two big stars. Uh, I'll show my age, Cher and Dolly Parton. You don't need both of them to fill a room. Either one can do it on their own. So I, by stretching my introduction, uh, I got where I was a standalone alone star. And that's what I did with the people at San Quentin and so on. They would get up and uh, start talking. And then it would five minutes would be 10 and 10 would be 20. And after a while, you had to get a hook and pull them off the stage. And with that, their confidence level rose. Uh, one of the graduates, Jerry Matthews, was his name. I didn't know it, but he couldn't read. His graduation present to me one night was he got up with a little book. It was like C. Jane Run, but nevertheless, a book and read the book to me in front of the television cameras and two or 300 other people. That was, that's what he had done with the ability to speak in public. 
show you another one real quick. And I know you and I aren't on camera, but you'll get a kick out of this. This is a boy that I, uh, can you see the cover? No. The camera's not on? No. Oh, okay. I wish you could. It's a handsome young black gentleman named Lamont Bowens. He came to my class at, at uh, Lompoc Federal Penitentiary. He was 19 years old. Uh, he was not, he, had, he, he told me he dropped out of high school and further conversation, not sure he ever dropped in, <laughs> but he had not graduated <laughs> from high school. 19 year old high school dropout, I'll be kind, drug dealer, doing five years of a federal stretch. And uh, so I tricked him into, he said, now if I go to that public speaking class, I don't have to get speak, do I? I said, oh no, no. We walk in the side door, to our right is the whole audience to our it was at their cafeteria to our left is the kitchen all and everybody looked up when i walked in they saw my arm around lamont i said ladies and gentlemen there were some female guards in there i said ladies and gentlemen we have a surprise guest speaker tonight i can feel lamont tense he did what i did when Ern westmore got ready to introduce me and died and uh, so I, I said, he's not going to do much, but he's just going to say hello to you and let you hear his, he's got a great voice. Lamont got up. He didn't have much inventory. He only talked about, about five minutes, but the five minutes was as good as Martin Luther King Jr. The good voice, good presence. Uh, I remember he ended it with, uh, you know, I, most of you know me, but here's my background, blah, blah, blah. But I came here to improve myself. Then he said, now let's get busy and walked off he got a standing ovation and i saw the look in his face bridget he was hooked you know the first time you got a standing ovation you thought oh i like this right right yeah. <laughs> i like yeah. this i could see the hook set so i worked with him and we got him his ged and then he got out and a year or two passed and he come by then he, he said would you adopt me and i said sure uh, it'd be an honor. So he called and he says, dad, uh, I've decided I want to do something. I need your help. And he said, what's, what's that? He said, well, I want to go to college, but I don't have any money. His plan, by the way, when he got out of federal prison was not after I knew him, but his original plan was to get out of prison, stick somebody up, get four or $500, enough money to get back in the drug business. That was his plan. So now he says, I just need you to guarantee my student loans. I promise you, you'll never have to pay a dime. And I haven't, that was years ago. Four or five years go by, I'm talking to him in the meantime, of course. He says, dad, need another favor. And I said, what's that? Well, I wanna to go to law school. And uh, I said, will they let you in as a convicted felon? He said, yep, I've checked it out. If I can pass this test and that test, I'm in as long as you'll guarantee the loans. I said, I'll do it. He said, I promise you, you'll never have to pay a dime. And I haven't. He now has, works in three offices, Los Angeles, Dallas, Texas, and Washington, DC. He's a partner in the firm. Uh, he's doing great. And he calls me, oh, less than a year ago. And he said, dad, I said, hey, Lamont, how are you? And he said, I'm, I'm super. Listen, I need a favor. I said, God. How much is this one going to cost me? What don't you know? You're educated. I'm a high school graduate. He's got a, you know, a college degree and whatever you call your lawyer degree. Uh, he says, well, no, this isn't a tuition. This is a letter of recommendation. I said, sure. Who do I address it to? And he gave me judge, the, your honor or judge or somebody. I said, what's this for? He said, I'm up for a federal judgeship. Wow. In, in juvenile, working with young people. Wow. And let me just skip ahead for a second, Bridget. Can you imagine some young punk comes up before Lamont, Judge Bowens, <laughs> and tries to lay a story on them about you don't understand and so on. You're talking to a guy who's done five or six years in federal prison, was a member of a street drug gang, was in a gunfight with his stepfather, neither one of them were good shots nobody got hurt but in a gun battle with his stepfather and now you're going to tell him your pitiful little story of how <laughs> right right 
Wow. But wow. All, all of that was due to he got tricked into public speaking and the confidence that comes with it. Wow. So get not yeah. only get good at public speaking to your listeners, encourage other people. You can do more good with more. I've seen it with thousands of people all over the world. If I can get them up in front and I don't have a, an optional program, I have come up front <laughs> you know, now. Uh, and uh, if I can get them hooked on public speaking, if I can get them one good round of applause, get a standing ovation, I'm done. I don't have to do anything after that. Uh, put them in business for themselves, something like that. It changes lives like nothing else I've ever done. And I've had an interesting life and worked in a lot of different situations. Wow, that is incredible. And I love how the story just came full circle for Lamont. I wonder if he pinches himself sometimes and wonders, is this real? <laughs> well, I think he's got enough confidence now. He thinks that's the way it should have always been. Right. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. But I answered the phone the other day. It came in on my cell phone. We were lying in bed early Sunday morning and I knew the voice. Uh, caller ID didn't reveal who it was or I didn't know the number or something. But this deep, melodious voice says, Mom there. And I said, Oh, a Mother's Day call from my little drug dealer. He said, Judge Bowens, please. It's <laughs> <laughs> Judge Bowens to you. Thank you very much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Ben, it has been an absolute delight. Is there anything else listeners need to learn from you in order to be dynamic on the mic? Because I'm just going to share this very quickly. You are a world-famous professional keynote speaker. You are a world-famous seminar leader, sales trainer. You've taught people all kinds of closing sales techniques, how to overcome objections, how to close tough sales, learn the secret of sales infiltration. I could just go on down the list. Harnessing the power of your personality, on, on and on and on and on. What else do we need to hear from you in order to feel more confident about tackling this thing called a microphone and getting on the stage and just owning it. Uh, it's the same way you get to Carnegie Hall. Practice, 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 as the old New York joke goes. Get up in front of people. Be like me as a young guy where Zig said I would work a traffic accident. Uh, join service clubs. Every service club has a person who has the most miserable job in the world. It's called find an interesting speaker once a month or twice a month or whatever for the meeting. It's a thankless job. People that they approach are afraid of public speaking or they've spoken so many times the club didn't want to hear them anymore. So look up Kiwanis, Rotary, et cetera, what are all service clubs are and call up and ask to speak to the person who's in charge of putting on the meetings and go do it. I went to San Quentin. Uh, I went to sell them a program. Uh, I forget what I was in charge of, but in those days, it's probably the equivalent today of a quarter of a million dollars a year or something, one night a week, 12, I demanded 12 hours. They could come in at six in the evening and stay at six in the morning and they would be counted in the room, not go back to their cells and everything. So we could have, have you ever seen Scared Straight? No, I'm it's, not a pop culture person. Okay, well, it's Rawway State Prison. A bunch of inmates put together a thing called Scared Straight where they have people on the streets, young people who are heading in the wrong direction come in because they don't fear prison, you know, that type of attitude, uh, come in and see what prison is really like and, and really get in their faces and tell them what they're going to do to them if they see them in a prison and so on. And it's had remarkable effects. Well, we sort of did a scared straight in reverse. Young white millionaire comes in and scares the inmates. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you if you go out there with the attitude you have now. You might as well not go out there because you'll be back at high speed. You're on a path that's going to kill you. You'll be in prison or dead or die in prison. 
<laughs> it's right. not it's not a pretty picture. So right. here's how you get around that and so on. So anyway, I offered it to Warden Red Nelson for a fee. And he says, all right. And he buzzes his secretary. She came in and he told her what we were going to do. She disappears, comes back with a stack of papers. It looked like the New York phone book. I said, what's that? I'm a salesperson. We don't like paperwork. And uh, I said, what's that? And he said, well, just fill these out. And then I'm going to run this through. I'm going to ram it through. I'm going to get it approved and we'll pay you. And I said, what's ram it through mean? How long is it going to take? He said, about two years. He said, I'm, I, I, I'm, I'm well connected. I can get this done. <laughs> two years. I said, are you kidding me? You know, I'm, you know, we salespeople and speakers are, we're not good farmers because we put the seed in the ground water, stand back and go, grow, grow. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I said, how much, how fast could we get started if I did it for free? He said, we could start this afternoon. Will you? And I said, yes. He picked up the mic, summoned whoever you summoned. I, I could hear it out on the yard, but I couldn't hear what he was saying. And about an hour later, I walked into the room I spent the next five years in one night, 12 hours a week, uh, with two or 300 of the baddest of the bad. San Quentin has improved now. It's a place you go to get trained to stay out of prison. We planted that little seed. They teach computers and graphics and advertising and photography and so on, and public speaking and so on. Uh, but there they sat and he said, let me know how it comes out. And he walked out of the room and left me with this crowd. So I went in to sell a program. I wound up speaking, of course, they were also speaking, but controlling a meeting for 12 hours a night, once a week for five years. No Christmas weekends off or anything. Every Friday without fail. Well, you stand in, in a dangerous situation uh, in the first year I was there, in 52 weeks, 56 inmates were killed and a few guards. So you're in a dangerous situation with people who don't play well with others, so they wouldn't be there. And you got to learn how to do your thing. It was the best experience. Of it. People say, well, you were attitude coach for the astronauts. That was probably the peak of your career. I said, no, not really. Uh, you were sitting in a cell with Charlie Manson for nine hours. That must have been fascinating. It was fascinating. He was crazy, but fascinating. Uh, well, you've trained all these, you know, 5,000 speeches. What was the best thing you ever did or experienced? I said, people builders at San Quentin State Prison and then Lompoc. It's one of those places where I got to talk, practice, get better, learn how to deal with very awkward situations. Uh, while practicing my skill and getting better, uh, I would have paid, I, I was asking them for, in today's money, a couple of hundred thousand dollars a year. I, looking back, Bridget, I would have paid them a couple of hundred thousand for the privilege and honor of doing it. And here's the spinoffs for your listeners. I got famous for that in addition to the rest of my thing. I have clients today that came from reading an article 45 years ago in an in-flight magazine about my program at San Quentin. They looked wow. it up. They want to meet the interesting guy who would do something like that. So it's your, I have a phrase that I use with my books. They say, why do you write so many books? Well, to make money is one thing. But I said, the important thing is, and it was true of San Quentin, a lot of the other things we've talked about, the books are my passport to credibility. Yes. When you come in with a book, The Closers Part One, that sold 10 and a half million copies when we quit counting 25 years ago, there's no question about, well, how do we know you're going to be good? You know, I've given 5,000 paid speeches. Well, how do you know you'll do well here? Well, I've done well 5,000 other times before I met you. <laughs> you know? And here's a book that sold 10 and a half million copies, plus it's your passport to credibility. So Get in front of as many groups as you can, uh, free at first, and then set a fee. And here's my last little tip. Get business cards printed that say what you do. Mine say, uh, Ben Gay III, salesman, speaker, sales trainer, consultant, and then a bunch of phone numbers and so on. 
<clears throat> so when somebody came up to me in those early days, a card was different back then, but it started out with salesman and speaker. Uh, could you come do that in front of my group? I wasn't stuttering or stammering. I said, yeah, that's what I do. I'm a professional speaker. Right. My fee is back by then it was probably five or I remember when Earl Nightingale and I gritted our teeth and moved up to $500 and then Earl went to 1500. I said, you'll never get that. Uh, but he did. So I raised mine to 1500. <laughs> now it's 12.5 for an hour. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine high school graduate, nothing going for me other than drive and perseverance, getting $12,500 to speak for an hour. I mean, that's incredible to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's possible. It can be done. Ben, what is a question you've never been asked, but that you wish someone would ask you? <laughs> I'll, I'll give you one that hasn't been asked once and I wasn't prepared for it, but Step and Fetch, it used to be an old vaudeville comedian and so on. Right. And he, he had a little routine he did where he got in a hot spot and he said, feats don't fail me now. You know, he's going to start running. Feats don't fail me now. I'm up in front of a group not too long ago. Uh, I was the last protege of Dr. Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich. He worked for me the last two and a half years of his life, and I was his project to mentor and counsel me because I was 25 years old and the head of the largest direct sales multi-level multi marketing company on earth. I was in over my head. They didn't know it. I was shucking and jiving and, and getting through it, but uh, I was in over my head. So we brought in Napoleon Hill to work with me. I was asked at this meeting in Las Vegas, and he's been dead 50 years now, but I was asked at this meeting, what are the three most important things Dr. Hill ever taught you? Well, I hate that question because one, he taught me 500 things. And two, without warning, I didn't have three on the top of my mind. So I said, Lord, feats don't fail me now. And I just let my mouth run. And what came out was, integrity in all things you know not not just when somebody's looking when they're not looking and especially when they're not looking integrity in all things two was focus uh, i'm a shiny object guy i have to fight the tendency to look at something that's going on somewhere what i i would make a good eyewitness at a, at a traffic accident or a crime because somewhere in the middle of it something shiny would have happened. I'd have turned over there and I wouldn't have seen what really happened. No, but, Ben, Ben, in the middle of a traffic accident, you would be giving a presentation. Well, you got to gather them up first. <laughs> <laughs> so focus and three was take action. Integrity in all things, focus, take action. And he was a big help to me with all three of those. And no one had ever asked me that in over 50 years in this business. And I've now said it a thousand times because it really hit on me. That really was what he did. You know, he wrote The Law of Success, which was like the New York phone book and Think and Grow Rich and all this stuff. And it was wonderful. But I learned with him sitting at the end of my conference table, knee to knee, you know, eyeball to eyeball. That's how I learned from him. And those are the three most important things. People say, yes, but you know what he said on sex mutation was, I said, I dimly remember that. And I thought it was nonsense. What was important to me was integrity in all things, mm -hmm. focus and action, which spill over back into what we're talking about in professional speaking. You have to have those three things uh, to be successful in the business and persistence. And I have an 86% closing rate in selling, which is unheard of. A lot of people, first time they hear it, just don't believe it. And I'm not talking about you phone in, I sell you a book if I happen to catch the call. I'm talking about seminars, consulting gigs, big book sales. You call to buy one, you bought 500 for your team, you know, that type of thing. 86% is my closing rate. And so that's marvelous. How many sales is that? And I, I'd never been asked that. So I went back and I figured it up. 
roughly, you know, you, know, you don't know these things unless you count from day one and I didn't know it would ever be important. But uh, roughly, I've given 100,000 face-to-face, I'm Ben Gay, you're Bridget, and here's what I want you to do or buy or, you know, whatever, 100,000. And I have an 86% closing rate. People go, that's astounding. I said, let me tell you what's astounding. My resilience, that means that 14,000 people heard the entire Ben Gay presentation. And when I asked for the order, they said, no. 14,000 out of 100,000 is an 86% closing rate. Most people can't suffer 14,000 no's. Uh, and uh, no matter how, they, they hang on the no, not the yeses. In there somewhere, I got 86,000 yeses. But they hang on that. I've had audiences not really warm to me when I wasn't up and running properly. I, I did one seminar one time, Bridget, it was so bad. I think I'd been out late the night before. I was having some personal problems, whatever. It was so bad. It was in Fresno, California. I said to the group, I didn't promote it. Somebody else had. I said, what'd you pay to be here? And they said, uh, I think it was $75. So it was $7,500 roughly. And I said, well, give me a slip with your name and mailing address on it because I'm personally going to send you a $75 check. I didn't earn my money tonight, and I did. Hand wrote in my personal checkbook, a check to every single one of them. So you're not always on, you don't always feel good, but the trick is to get so good, you wouldn't know if my mother just died, and but I still go on. We'll worry about the funeral later. I've been in some horrible situations. The audience thought I was marvelous because I'm a professional. It's a skill. It's not a habit. It's not the guy in your class. I was voted wittiest in my senior high school class. I thought that was all you did. I'm witty. I'm done. I can go into selling, probably not heart surgery, but selling, you know, marketing, whatever. And then I discovered witty isn't enough. This is a professional skill. Since we, those of us who are really good make more than doctors, we probably ought to practice more than doctors. What you said about, in so many words, the show has to go on and you have to get up there and you have to deliver regardless of what may be going on behind the scenes because people showed up with an expectation right. and it is up to you as the speaker to deliver, to give them what they came to get. Mm. And remember, especially if you're new in selling, they didn't put out their money and their time or both and drive downtown or, you know, wherever, inconvenience themselves to see you fail. Yes. People fear, oh, my God, they're waiting for me to bomb. No, they're not. They want you to succeed because they want to get what they came and paid for. So they're pulling for you. The only one in the room who doubts your talents and abilities until you show them otherwise is you. So rev it up and let it fly. Ah, that's it. That's it. Benjamin Franklin Gay III, I cannot thank you enough. My honor. And I love, where's that Southern accent coming from? Ah, Beaumont, Texas. All right. <laughs> Having been raised in Atlanta, I know a Southern accent when I hear one. You know, if you called our office and Gigi got on the phone, you would be questioned closely before you spoke to me. Really? Uh, oh, yeah. And she means it lovingly. But the right. joke is when Ben Gay gets on the phone and hears a lovely female Southern accent, he will buy anything. <laughs> So Gigi likes to clear up how much money we're going to spend and so on before I even get on the phone. But the way you said, I, I heard it ever since we've been talking about the way you said third on Benjamin Franklin Gay the third. I said, that, girl, that girl's, I was going to guess Dallas, but uh, that girl's from Dallas. But I knew you were from somewhere beneath Mason-Dixon line. Right, right. Absolutely. Absolutely. I have been living in Arizona since 2009, late 2009. 
not long enough. Well, actually, you know, there's a certain age. I can't remember what the age is. If you've been in a certain area for that long, I can't, oh, I wish I could remember the age. Is it 17 years old? Something like that. You're not going to shake that accent. So regardless of how long I've lived in Arizona, I can't say, oh, I'll never shake it. I've been here all this time and I can't get rid of the Texas accent. I would have had to shake it a long time ago. It's charming. People love it. When I left Georgia and came to California, I went to work losing my Southern accent. Yes. Because I didn't want to be considered stupid or from the swamps or whatever. Then I discovered people loved it. I know Zig hadn't lost his. uh, And so I, I do what pretty Southern ladies like you do when I, when I know I'm on and I know you do this, I won't ask you to confess, you crank it up. Yes, you're supposed to turn, yes, turn it up. That's right. (laughs) When I, when I get on stage, all that training goes away. I turn my Southern accent back on. Got, you have to do what works. You have to do what works. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. Ben, it's been more than a pleasure. I really appreciate all of your insight, the stories, the expertise. I could go on down the line. It's just been a pure joy to have you on the show. My pleasure. Anytime I can be of assistance, you let me know. Give me a little warning and I'll be on with you again if you'd like. Oh, all right then. Uh, Don't tempt me. You don't have to tell me twice. And a big thank you to the listeners. Really appreciate you tuning in. And until next time, make sure you always own the microphone.